Hello everyone, this is Chris and welcome to Results May Vary. Today, Katya and I are excited to host Gabrielle Santa Donato. And she comes to us from a large background of life design, uh, starting at Stanford with the Design Your Life program that was born out of Stanford. And most recently, she's joined Airbnb to look through the lens of managers and their growth. So Gabrielle, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself before we get into the conversation? Prior to coming to Stanford, was always curious about how different people learn. So I've been on the ins and outs of education. In grad school, I was looking at multiple intelligences and how to design systems that are universally accessible to all learners and all people and worked at nonprofits and startups and all sorts of things. So coming to Stanford was highly motivated a lot by stumbling on what we call design thinking and being like, oh my goodness, this is the like more holistic approach to creativity that involves collaborating, involves different people who might learn and think differently and is iterative and quick and, and maybe moves faster than the psychology research I was trying to do and that sort of stuff. So I was really drawn to it and I was lucky enough to slot myself in at the design school at Stanford for a minute and then get over to the life design lab where I spent the last six years as a lecturer and fellow and building the life design studio, which is a university program uh, to bring life design to universities around the world through training educators and thus their students. And I'm launching a little prototype in life to see how people like me, weird, amorphous career professionals who have always kind of created their own job titles, <laughs> fits in a slightly larger organization like Airbnb. I love that you're talking about prototyping. I was going to ask you if you could give some context around what does it mean to prototype your life and what are some examples and some first steps? Because that's such a new concept for so many people. Prototyping is launching a small experiment that really doesn't cost you much that you can do in anything from a day to the week. It's easy, a quick experiment that's easy to do that gives you some simulation of a future reality. It lets you sneak up on your future. And you want to do that instead of, say, investing money, time, resources before you know if you actually might like the thing. And so at Stanford, we used to give the example of like, you might want to go into an operating room and get your blood drawn and have that experience before you commit to med school and being a doctor and you know the, the, the years and years that it takes to go along that path. So having that felt experience before necessarily being like, I for sure want to be a doctor, what does it actually mean to be like in a hospital or waiting room or that sort of thing? And I gave that example with your life is you can like try to live somewhere or you could try on a lifestyle or a routine in a small way before making investing in a permanent change, really. That's very exciting to hear because it's my experience that a lot of people don't even conceive that they would have permission Right. And so once you give them permission that, oh, there's a whole world of people who are, are trying out different futures. I love the way you explained that peeking into your future and that there's no risk in prototyping in this way and the way you described it. Do you have other practical examples of prototyping life? Well, I think the first thing I'd like to do is call out that word permission that you use, Katya. It's really important. I feel like a lot of what what I did as an educator or, or a teacher in higher ed, let's say, what I do now is you give people permission. You're like, I give you this permission to reflect or to talk to someone else or to know that even if you didn't 
do anything during the pandemic and you felt no forward motion, that's absolutely okay because you are where you are. It's the permission to be okay with whatever is at hand. Like, you know, at Stanford, at the D school, there's this big sign that says you are here. I mean, I think of that often because I'm a FOMO driven, anxious in the future person. Like I think the best thing I gift I could give to someone like myself is actually just being okay where I am. Uh, and so that sometimes kind of butts against this like iterative <laughs> prototyping mentality. But, you know, I'd, I'd spent most of my career in education and nonprofits. And, and so for me, going to the corporate world was a long thought out and a big step. Or I, So I'm actually viewing what I'm doing now as a prototype. Do I like or how do I feel about learning within a, a corporate company, essentially? because I love learning. I like being at institutions of higher learning. I love working with quote students, whether they're students of life or students of students. But how does that feel like when I'm doing that in this, this different context? So I'm, I guess I'm kind of running a long form prototype right now. Um, luckily I'm at a very warm and welcoming place and I'm learning a ton. But I think what you, when I think about prototyping, it's like really the question is, are you learning something? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably still a prototype in some shape or form. But what I could have done is I could have gotten a short form internship or I could have shadowed for a day. Or what I did is I just had a ton of conversations. The lowest bar prototype in life is to talk to someone who's living in some version of your future that you're particularly curious about. And so that's what I did. I took my own medicine and I just talked to a lot of people. I talked to people at various companies. I talked to people who started their own thing because I have curious curiosity around that. You know, talk to people who balance an academic or an education-driven lifestyle with some other things that they do. You hear their stories and you listen deeply and you see how they react. And then you kind of take that information and help you decide how to navigate your way forward. I'm curious, what's the very first thing you do with people What's the crawl, walk, run approach to this and where do you start? It kind of depends. I think like anything, like I have to, if I'm coaching someone, let's say, right, like I have to be a good listener to understand where they are and what needs they might have. So if this person, let's say, is like gung-ho to get going, they seem like they've already done a lot of introspective work and reflection and they kind of come to me with thoughts and ideas, I might jump into prototyping. So it's like, Build your life design team. Who are people similar and different from you that you might want to learn from that who could help you kind of iterate your way into the future? Go talk to some people, come back, and let's make sense of that information. If someone is really new to this journey, we start more on the introspection and reflection and kind of self-authoring. So we might say a big component of this life design is almost authoring your own manifestos. What do you think of work? Why do people work? What do you think of the world? So, you know, we call it in class, a work view and a worldview in the design your life book. It's a work view and a life view. And it, it's just simple prompts around considering like, who am I? What do I do? Why do I work? Why do people work? Why are we here on this planet? <laughs> you know, why are we living? Those like it's kind of basic to existential. Like, how do I feel about money? How do I feel about relationships, love, joy, suffering? We've had people author those, and those can provide a compass. Like, if you think about the empathy and defined phases of the design thinking process, 
this you gain a little empathy or understanding of yourself and you're starting to put some sort of definition forth and this definition might change by the day the month the year depends on what happens with you but you're saying this is what i think of work in the world so that as you go forward and create visions of your future or ideas for your future or you launch prototypes by having these conversations or short felt experiences those can kind of cross-check back with your work view and your worldview or your sense of self, so to speak, to say, huh, do these correlate? Or is there coherence here? Am I wavering from what I thought I was? And how do I feel about that? So they kind of serve as these anchoring points. So I guess to answer your question, Chris, is like I might start there with some of the more kind of self-definition to drive forward, or we might just jump in because some of that definition could come just from being out there in the world, having conversations and experiences and using that to kind of cross-check back. Absolutely. And that just seems so powerful, specifically at this time in our history and experience. So what are some practical exercises that you would recommend for our audience that they could do right now in order to really leverage this extraordinary opportunity we have? This might sound counterintuitive, Katya, but in a weird way, and, and it might be where I am with my own personal circumstances, but I think really it's about grace. Yes. I, I think that this transition might be quite overwhelming, and even though we're all eager for certain things, there's also fear underlaying that for a lot of people. And so I actually believe that it's, it's like I said earlier, it's having grace with where you are. It's having grace for those around you. It's having grace if, you know, suddenly your social calendar is up ticking and you don't want to go to all of these things all of a sudden because maybe that wasn't what fueled you or isn't what fuels you now that you are changing and, and it is okay to have been impacted in the past year and a half, it is okay to have changed some of your perspective. And it's okay to be just the same as you are too, right? Like all of those are okay. So just to layer in some grace. But, you know, if you're feeling that, you know, that tailwind, that momentum that you mentioned, it's like, yes, there are these moments to use that energy. Sometimes we would leverage a seasonal shift or a pivotal moment in life to do that. Be like, okay, it's spring, things are opening up, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm coming out, so to speak, into the world. That might be a moment where you might have more momentum to try something, right? To prototype something, as opposed to the more insular nature or like cocooning or reflective element of winter. And so this is an interesting one. This is a, one that's like, People are, there are concentric circles of transition happening now, which I find fascinating, right? People are having an individual experience. They are having an experience within a community that's transitioning out and different places are doing this at different paces in different ways. And then that all is kind of layered up into this global transition we're having. I just hope we hold each other with grace. The first phase of designing your life is acceptance. It's you can't work on a problem you're not willing to have. And so if you want to use the momentum of this transition to do something, that's only going to be possible if you accept where you are and where you might want to go. And acceptance, interestingly, and I thought about this kind of early pandemic, is also the last phase of the, the outlined grief cycle we've come to know. So it's kind of this beautiful transition between grieving and giving the space to let go of things or to process things and being ready to make change or being ready to move forward. So acceptance being kind of the end of grief and the beginning of life design, if you will. And I think acceptance and grace 
are correlated in a lot of ways because having grace with oneself and one others is accepting them as who they are with kind of like an extra sprinkle of kindness because I have so much respect for people's individual experiences throughout all this and prior to this and after this. And so we just have to all add that extra sprinkle of compassion, I think, as we navigate our way forward. I'm thinking about right or wrong, everyone's busy or claims to be very busy, right? And you ask people like, what are you doing next month? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so just how little goes into thinking about ourselves in that kind of deliberate and intentional way. I love how you're talking here. And then I just think about people who have zero time for physical movement, self-care. I can't meditate five minutes a day. I don't have time to do that. How, yeah. how do you um, incorporate maybe to the person that needs you most, but wouldn't know to come? Mm. And what's like the tiny action they can take to get started before getting up to the biggest levels of life design? Like what are the breadcrumbs <clears throat> that bring them here? A great breadcrumb is taking stock of your energy and engagement. We do a quick activity around this. Um, we've done a lot around kind of designing your time at Airbnb as well. And and this is a thing where you can literally look at your day. So in kind of directly responding to what you said, you can look at your day, you can look at your week and you could say, okay, what do I do on any given day? What do I do on any given week? Literally write it, just like brain dumping all of those activities down. And then you kind of map them out on a two by two. So on a line, basically a timeline where, you know, you get up in the morning, you go to bed in the evening, or if you want to do a week, you're like Sunday to Sunday sort of thing, where the X axis is time, like we said, and then the Y axis is does this activity give me energy or drain my energy? Does it engage me? Does it not engage me? And basically, the metric for that is, is kind of a felt one is like, when I'm done with this, do I feel energized or do I feel depleted? And so it's a really quick way, let's take a day, for example, because like really it's a day at a time these days, to take a bite-sized approach at like how do the things I do on any given day stack up against each other? What comes first? How does that set me up or not set me up for success? You know, it's a really quick way to notice like if I start, if I move two feet from my bed to my computer and start my day on five Zoom calls, like by 1 p.m. I feel like it's 6 p.m. And is there a way for me to shift that? So basically, it's first taking a stock at that, and it's doing it in a visual way, like a designer might, you know, we love two by twos, like a really quick framework, mapping energy against time, and saying, how are my activities sequenced? Are Even if I can't change this meeting with my boss or my team, like it's not in my control, hypothetically, because if it's in my control, and I might be able to suggest an alternative, we invite you to do so. But if it's not in my control, how do I maybe change the five minutes before or after so that I'm entering that in a different place? I mean, I do things like stick my head out the window, I play a song, I take a shower unnecessarily so, forgive me. Like things like that, right? To be like, I'm rejuvenating myself because I know that if I start my day in this way, it's not going to be awesome. And then, you know, I think there's power to like the beginning, middle and end or, or another way to say is like how you start, how you close and then what's a peak moment because we will always remember the peak moments and how things end. So do you have an evening 
a small evening ritual. <laughs> I mean, it could be next to nothing, right? Is there, is there a candle? Is there a journal? Is there a stupid TV show? Is there gratitude at dinner? Like, what is it that might help you close your day in some way? Some, some routine to hang on to there. And wh- what's a peak moment that you might remember? So when you take stock of a day and what gives and drains your energy, and energy is just highly correlated to engagement, and that's highly correlated. You know, engagement's one of the five elements uh, that Martin Seligman defines in his portfolio approach to p- positive psychology or well-being. And so that that's one you can leverage, like what gives me energy, what engages me, and taking a look at that across time. How does it sequence? Can I do two for one activities like that really boost my energy and engagement? Like going for a walk with my kids gets me some relationship time, but it also gets me outside time, you know, things like that. It's just a quick way to take stock of where you are. I think an optimizer would say, oh, okay, then the name of the game is only do things that bring you energy. I have a feeling that maybe that's not the goal. What's an ideal energy map end up looking like? There is no ideal. There's what you are okay with, I think. So in most of these things, there's like everything we do in life design is this barometer approach. Like if you have a gas tank, are you zero to 100 on on something? Or, Or, you know, like basically... And so think of four elements of your life, work, love, play, health. Like if we distilled it down that simply, you might be going, your gas tank of work might be super full and the other ones are lower than you might like in any given moment. But if you can accept that this is what this phase of life might be like for a little while, and then there might be another season or phase of your life in which something else is a little bit more full and work, for example, might tick down, then you're fine. You're exactly where you need to be. And same for this. It's like the energy stuff. It's not like there's like how insane would a day be if all those bars are peaked above the graph and everyone's like everything gives them energy all the time. I mean, that would be beautiful. But the reality is there are some things that are just going to drain our energy always like checking 100 emails. I don't know. Maybe it is energy giving for some people, right? But there are things we're going to do. So it's not about making everything energy giving. It's just about achieving a balance that works for you at any given moment in time. Katya, I picture yours being really high most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's correlated with with a positive outlook. (laughs) I don't know. Or just a lot of iteration and prototyping. In design, like great designs never done. And, and with life, I'm wondering in the work that you do, I'm assuming the process just never ends. You just keep going through it. I, I wonder if uh, people that have yeah. been through your work, uh, if they're, if it's always a part of their week or month, this sort of revisiting the life design, or if they revisit it quarterly or yearly, what, what happens over time for people that really take to this work? That is amazing question, right? Like, I am no longer working in it. So hypothetically, I'm no longer doing or teaching life design right now. But after, you know, five or six years of teaching this hundreds of times of molding the curriculum in different ways and coaching some friends and clients along the way, thousands of student office hours, and now thinking about how that applies to management and companies and things like that, you know, it, it it's in your bones and you almost can't ignore it. Sometimes I almost, <laughs> I always, I had the moment the other day where I was like, oof, I wish I wasn't about forward motion so much. Like I could use, I just need to, you know, chill. 
you know, I have a partner who's different from me in that way, a hundred percent. And there's, you know, there's conflict there. Like, I'm like, let's try this. This is my idea. Let's do this, you know? And so I think that sometimes that actually can get me into trouble. But Chris, like it's, it is, it's like for sure an ongoing process and you can dial it up or dial it back as needed. But I mean, if you think about it, like the people who have experienced life design, some of them don't even know there's a designing your life book out there. And like you, they've worked in the field and they just kind of, you're intuitively competent in how a designer might go about the world in a human and iterative way, let's say. And there are people I've worked with, you know, they've taken a one hour workshop. Do they revisit it? I don't know, because I, I truly think, you know, what we know about behavior change is that you need to repeat these things. You need to build muscle memory. And because this is teetering on some really personal stuff, like we have old habits and ways of doing things that are hard to break. And so if it's not intuitive to you to do self-reflection, to come up with multiple ideas for yourself, like to liberate in that way, if you're used to having a lot of constraints, if like, if what you're working with isn't naturally intuitive with the process, if that wasn't cultivated in you and your home life and your school life, like, it takes a lot of repeating to start thinking this way or, or adopting these mindsets. Um, but the cool thing is that once you repeat it a number of times, and I don't know if there's an exact dose <laughs> for everyone, but like if I think about like a Stanford class, right, eight to 10 weeks, so meeting once a week, like by the time those students are out, they're like thinking a little differently and they're behaving a little differently than they would before this. Uh, and I try to keep myself fresh. So if ever I'm instructing or leading a workshop, like I will do my work views and my worldviews. I will try, we call them odyssey plans where you create th- three visions of your future, three radically different visions of the next five to 10 years. I will try to put those on paper just to keep my own thinking or reflecting fresh on it. But it's about building muscle memory or what we would call intuitive competency. So knowing what you're good at and then letting that eventually after repeating it enough times kind of work for itself. What you're describing is actually incredibly profound. This idea of imagining uh, three possible futures, three possible odysseys is beyond what most people entertain. And I think that, you know, you have the unique background of having launched these life design curriculums across universities and built community around that. And clearly you embody, you know, it's a lifestyle. You, you truly embody it. You say it's in your bones. I'd be curious to hear more about your story around that and how might we invite even more people to understand this is possible. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when I hear those comments, I think about how the universities we share the curriculum with are so different from one another. And I feel like that's my greatest accomplishment in my career is that we didn't just go train all the Ivy League schools because the students who are privileged are capable of accessing this. We, our primary partner is Cal State, all the Cal State school systems. So we have worked with this wonderful woman, Heather Butler, a psych professor at Cal State Dominguez Hills, who slowly but surely is basically integrating this across the entire system and doing research on it. And these students are fundamentally different from Stanford students. And so I think that goes to say that each life faces a different set of constraints, and some for sure are more than others, and some for sure are more privileged than others. And so there might be 
you know, a different opening to be able to iterate your way forward based on where you start from. But it is possible for anyone to conceive of multiple versions of their future, like you said. And and I think actually the most powerful lesson in conceiving of multiple versions of your future is a lesson that knowing any one of those is okay, that you don't have to strive to be the best version of you. You can strive to be one of many good versions of you that will play out in the world with unexpected twists and turns. And I think that's very important to remember right now because, you know, we've been through many unexpected twists and turns and coming back to grace, like there could be multiple versions of ourselves that spawn out of this weird and wild and complex time, but all of those are okay. There's not one best one and you don't need to feel pressure to create the best version of yourself. That's just not a particularly helpful and graceful idea. So this idea that any of the versions are good, anyone you want to be is okay, but there might be multiple versions in there. With that in mind, as this goes to more people and as you, your own career has evolved and you're applying some of what you've learned in in management and whatnot, is, is there a group that this is not for? When I think about trauma and people that are maybe in a really tough place is do you find that um, this is universally applicable or, or were there certain students coming through that you, you felt like this actually isn't a good idea for you? I'm, I'm just curious if there's anyone that this is not for. That's a hard question. I would love to go back to my team at Stanford, who I miss very dearly, and be like, what do we think of this question? Because <laughs> we all are, as a team, we are from very different backgrounds. So I will share a quick anecdote on that. I'm part of this wonderful mu- community called Outwild. They It's about like intentionally designing your life with people who want to be more outdoors the time. And uh, and so I, I do workshops for them at their events. And they, like many other event companies, completely obliterated at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, And we did an on they put out a quick and awesome online series. And so I was doing a very brief, like quick overview, life design 101. And I'm at the end of the call. And unsolicitedly, uh, you know, there, there are 70 to 100 people in this call and you got all your little Zoom screens in gallery mode. And this woman unmutes herself and is like, <clears throat> basically, and I hate that I'm uh, kind of paraphrasing her language, but the sentiment I got was something like, this is well and good, but like, I have chronic fatigue syndrome and this and that, and I can barely get out of bed every day. Like, how do I design my life? And I had a moment, and, and I think this is similar but different from like, wait, like, how do I design my life when I have, like, I, you know, I haven't met my parents? And, you know, like, they're, name a situation that is constraining and unfortunate, and like, yes, that, put, that puts you at a different place to start from, I think. But what was particularly profound about this woman unmuting and saying this is one, she was able to do that in the Zoom company of others. And then this beautiful thing happened where I, you know, I was like quiet for a moment and I was like, I actually have two chronic conditions too. And I've, I've never been able to really integrate that into my work because, you know, it's not, we don't talk about unseen illness very much in our society. But then this other woman unmuted and she's like, I have this thing and I live in New York and I, I like have this pain stuff and like, I have to make sure I literally don't bump elbows when I'm 
you know, walking down the street. And it was, it was this crazy thing where like people are unmuting and suddenly sharing like their constraints, their constraints where they might even look fine or quote, quote, normal, which I hate that word to society, but inside they had real true struggle or, or something that might make them approach the world differently. And I have that too. And so it was this beautiful moment as a facilitator where I was like, yeah, I do think everyone can use this. I just think it's if you're ready for it and how it might be useful for you, right? You just might be starting from your you are here might be different from someone else's you are here. But that doesn't mean you don't have access to have some agency about how you design your way forward. Are there other materials or books, anything that you'd recommend for those that have heard this conversation and would like to learn more? A hundred percent. So, I mean, the easy thing is like pick up the book, Designing Your Life. It's a great place to start. The reason it's a good place to start is the activity that many of the activities are embedded within it. So I highly recommend, and you know, they'll say this in the book, but they kind of say it at the end. It's, can you, do you have a life design team? So who might be willing to go on this journey with you? Kind of like, I could kind of start in a book club format. So I've, I've had friends who would like take it to work and do a workbook club around it or just read it with a family member or a friend because going through an experience gets you that reading a book doesn't is you have accountability to do the things right you like actually have to journal on some stuff and record it because you're ultimately going to be sharing those with others and so the book is a great place to start but only if you actually do the stuff in it and share it with some people and get reactions They also just wrote a Designing Your Work Life book, which is really interesting if you're feeling stuck in your career and your job and you want to think about how do I actually make the most of where I'm at? And then for one-off resources, for deeper resources, the Designing Your Dot Life website is the official website of the book, and they actually have attached some of the worksheets and resources there. And then the lab where I worked, uh, the Stanford Life Design Lab, we also had a have a website. So you just Google Stanford Life Design Lab and you could read more about the university program. And we have video resources, including a talk I've done and some colleagues. And so those are two, those two websites in the book is a really good place to start for just exploring the concepts further and starting to do the work yourself, hopefully in concert with other folks. Thank you so much. That's perfect. What a great way to round out the conversation and uh, enjoyed our conversation with you today. Katja, great to hear your voice too and look forward to our next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gabriel. Thank you. I'm excited for the next episode too.